0: I think a lot of our standards for working are sort of holdovers from a more industrial age, where there was a pretty direct relationship between the number of hours that you put in and the number of, say, widgets that you're producing on the assembly line. But when the deliverable is something like a book or a marketing campaign or a five-year strategy document for an organization, we also need space in our days. We need to be able to synthesize all of the inputs that we're taking in and have room for the ideas in our mind to bounce off
1: of each other. Hey, it's Wednesday, and welcome back to the next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kavnet, and my question for you today is, are you a maximizer or a satisficer? If you're a maximizer, you always want the best of the best. You might take a lot of time to research and choose the perfect car, the ideal college, the optimal career. If you're a so-called satisficer, on the other hand, not so much. Review the options at hand, make a quick choice, and move on. My guest this week is Simone Stolzoff, author of the new book, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. Now, he's not here to tell you you shouldn't strive for the best, but he is going to tell you you'll probably be happier if you don't.
0: Satisficing tends to be more fulfilling than maximizing. Imagine you're buying a sweater. You find one that fits well and looks good for a fair price. If you're what social scientists call a maximizer, you might ask the clerk to put the sweater on hold so you can spend the rest of the day going to other stores to ensure there isn't a better sweater out there. On the other hand, if you're a so-called satisficer, which is a portmanteau of satisfy and suffice, you'll likely feel all right about buying the first sweater and move on with your day. A satisficer determines their criteria, and once they find something that meets their standards, they stop searching. Whereas maximizers want to be sure that every decision is the best decision they could possibly make. In the words of psychologist Lori Gottlieb, the satisficer is the one who wants what she has, and the maximizer is the one who is always chasing, trying to have what she wants. While there are benefits and drawbacks to each approach, the research says that satisfizers tend to be happier. Even if the maximizer exhausts all the other options and returns to the store to buy the original sweater, they tend to be less fulfilled than the satisfizer who bought the sweater right away. From a work perspective, many of us have internalized the message that there is one dream job out there, and we shouldn't stop or settle until we find it we tweak our resumes and browse linkedin in the hopes our next role will help us self actualize but perhaps a satisficer approach where we first determine what matters to us and then recognize when we have it is actually a better recipe for happiness
1: but let me push back a little bit it, you know because satisficing also could sound like settling but isn't there something beautiful about kind of the culture we have of people really trying to push, to innovate, to create, to work hard and and contribute more to the world. And if we just fall into satisficing, maybe we'd lose some of that.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked because I think it's a very important distinction between mm-hmm. satisficing and settling. And I think, you know, the difference beyond the connotation of settling being sort of a negative thing is that when we satisfy, we still get to set the standard of what good enough means to us. In that last audio clip, I talked about, you know, buying a sweater. And the idea of satisfying isn't resigning to buying a crappy sweater or something that you'll have to replace. It's just knowing what your vision of a good sweater looks like so that you can convert some of that energy that you might used spending, wondering whether there's something better out there into both appreciating the sweater that you have and into other pursuits outside of sweater buying. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably extended the metaphor enough at this point, but I think particularly in, in the working world there's a direct comparison to our romantic lives, where if we expect just one partner for example, to be not just our romantic partner but our best friend and our financial advisor, mm-hmm. and our favorite comedian, it's a very high standard to be putting on just one person. And similar, you know, much like a, a spouse can't be there to deliver our every single emotional, physical, and economic need, the same is true for a job. And so I think what satisficing allows is us to think about, you know, what is good enough in our work lives, and then how can we convert some of that energy into other Facets of who we are.
1: It strikes me that that satisfying, as you're using it, is an appealing goal, but maybe it's not realistic to expect us to be that good at knowing exactly what we value and exactly what we'll need to have enough. So that we might mean we might retain some of this itch for more, for better, for excellence, you know, and and maybe we don't want to give that up entirely because. You know, as we've said, there is some great, um, some great stuff comes from people who are driven not just to meet their needs, but to excel and to to really push things farther. So maybe there is some balance there in that you know you want to satisfy, but not all the time. Maybe you need to find some moments in your life where you just push past that.
0: I think that's wise. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding what realms of our life we are satisfying, and what realms of our life we do want to maximize. And I do think, you know, part of the culture of innovation in this country or part of the high standards for excellence that we have has driven us to make amazing things, to Mm -hmm. create vaccines and to go to the moon. You know, these are not the result of settling. They are the result of very hard work. But I think that it's also important to keep in mind that you know my argument is not anti-work i don't think that having a satisficer approach to a job necessarily has to come at the expense of doing excellent work or working hard i just think it is conscious of the idea that our jobs, our work is our part of, but not the entirety of who we are. And so understanding that while we're at work, we can try and strive for greatness. We can try and produce beautiful things. We can collaborate. We can be innovative, but also understanding that at the end of the day, the work must stop and we also must move on to other facets of our lives.
1: If we all sort of took the approach of like, well, I just need to make enough of a paycheck to support my family, so I'll work in this coffee shop. There would be a lot that would be lost culturally. I mean, I love coffee shops, don't get me wrong. But, you know, that we want people who are maybe um, not just putting food on the table, but are really trying to make a change in the world. Hmm. I definitely agree, and
0: I think that they're not mutually exclusive. I think you can have a satisficer approach to work and still hope to make a change in the world or create beautiful things. And you know, part of the research actually backs this up. It shows that people that have more passions and interests outside of the office tend to be more innovative, tend to be more creative problem solvers. I think that this is especially true in this knowledge economy that we're moving into now, I think a lot of our standards for working are sort of holdovers from a more industrial age where there was a pretty direct relationship between the number of hours that you put in and the number of, say, widgets that you're producing on the assembly line. But when the deliverable is something like a book or a marketing campaign or a five-year strategy document for an organization, we also need space in our days. We need to be able to synthesize all of the inputs that we're taking in and have room for the ideas in our mind to bounce off of each other. And so they're not necessarily zero sum. It isn't you either work all the time and try and maximize or you have a balanced life. They can coexist. You can think about how your time outside of the office might also support your ability to be productive and innovative when you're on the clock.
1: You talk about this importance of determining what matters to you, you know, kind of reflecting on your own values. And I guess I just wonder if you have any practical suggestions for how to do that, because I think a lot of us struggle to know what we value, what's important to us. And maybe that's partly why we fall back on things like salary or prestige, because those are easy markers where it can be much more challenging to figure out what's important to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's sort of where the rubber meets the road. You know, How can we practically put this into our lives? I think there's a lot of different approaches that you can take to figure out what you care about or what you value. But the approach that I tend to like most is a more narrative approach Mm. of just thinking about times in your life where you have felt most fulfilled in your career. And these don't necessarily have to be that the moments where they you received a promotion or you received a raise or the things that are too legible to the outside, but thinking about more of the daily experience of times where you felt like you were showing up as the type of person that you wanted to be in the workplace, and then dissecting it a bit, thinking about, okay, what Were the component parts of this time where I felt very fulfilled in work? Were there other people around? Was I collaborating? What type of work was I doing? What kind of energy did I feel like I was giving to the world? And through that sort of conscious reflection, you can probably uncover some of the things that are important to you in your working world. So, you know, for me, I I think about moments where I'm really in in a flow state and I'm writing and there is, it feels like time is melting away and the background. And then I take a step back and think about, okay, what helps me get there? One is you know, a lack of anxiety about how I'm going to pay rent that month. Another is the ability to be able to align my work with things that I actually care about. Another is a, a space that is void of too many Slack notifications or meetings so that I can really have the space around my day to go into deep work. And slowly but surely by dissecting that moment that it felt like I was really firing on all cylinders, I can start to uncover what are the things that are important to me in a job or a career.
1: Okay, listeners, so I hope you'll take a step back and reflect on what it is that gets you into a flow state. What conditions make you feel most alive and creative? You can then use that information to decide what you really want in a job and what just really doesn't matter. Simone will be back tomorrow with more advice on how to figure out what you really care about and why doing so is so powerful. For more career-boosting ideas, be sure to sign up for my newsletter using the link in the episode notes. I'll send you summaries of each week's episodes along with links and resources for further reading, and you can send me your feedback and questions. I'm Michael Kavnat. See you tomorrow.